Hi, I'm Keith Billis, and this is Live in the Lab. All right. A little bit of weirdness in front of the camera there for anybody who's watching. So I'm like, hey, where's the button? Where's the button? I can't get it going. How did you go viral on TikTok? You were on America's Got Talent. How much do you get paid to be on AGT? Oh, you didn't get paid. Keith and Steve here in Live in the Lab. You're a great interviewer. I love it. 48 miles, 48 hours. And not just once. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> I hit 50 last time, and I'm like, yeah, things are a little different than they were 10 years ago. So trust me, things are to keep. You have no time for the BS that much yeah. of society seems to put on the table. Why is that? Like, what you're talking about is real right now. There's just no bullshit here, but it's just real. We brought you in with some Marley. I said, Joseph, let's talk music for a second. You said, well, Keith, oldies, 60s, 70s, and 80s. I've never talked to a sir before. Why are you a sir? In many ways, we're the same story. I came from nothing. You came from nothing. I think the old saying goes that if you want a trophy, you climb Everest. If you want respect, you climb K2. I've built an AI myself, and it's pretty fascinating when you can have a conversation with yourself with your own knowledge. Have you done that before? Why are we rushing to make these tools if they're all they're going to do is hurt humanity? Does the world need an Oppenheimer moment with AI? What a fun show. Hey, everybody. Keith here, host of Live in the Lab, founder of the Business Athlete Performance Lab, giving you a new shot into the lab, getting you ready, getting you set for what you're going to see tomorrow. Tomorrow, this time, noon central time, special first part of a two-part series after the buzzer with Dale Weiss. Who's Dale Weiss? 13-year pro hockey player, 10 years in the NHL, goes from playing in 20,000-seat arenas, the accolades of autographs, to Friday night old-timer hockey. We don't often talk about life after the game. What? the identity that these former athletes go from here to here and wondering what's next. So join me, join Dale, in a special segment we're beginning this Friday, After the Buzzer with Dale Weiss. Hey everybody, you got Keith Billis here, live in the lab. We're announcing a brand new segment. It's called After the Buzzer, Life After the Game with Dale Weiss. So, who's Dale Weiss? Well, that's a good question. At the moment, I am a 35-year-old father of four. I'm working my way through a, a new adjustment in life. I retired two years ago from hockey. I, I think I'm just trying to find that next stage in life and where I'm going. So we spoke about identity. We spoke about loss of identity. I was in the NHL for 10, and then professionally I was uh, 13. We're building up a brand new show here. We're looking to speak to retired athletes like yourself. We're looking to speak to business guys who are trying to get to that next stage in life. We invite you guys to join us weekly, to connect, to share Dale's experiences as an athlete whose identity has been as an athlete. Everything in my whole life since I was five years old, I've identified as a hockey player. From the time I was five years old, my only dream was to be a hockey player. And when you talk about identity for me, I, I'll admit I, I don't know what my identity is anymore. Like I said, from five to 33, I was a hockey player. I identified as a hockey player. I spoke of myself in my own personal thoughts as Dale Weiss, the hockey player. I, I'm struggling mentally with kind of just letting go of the spotlight a little bit. That feeling that I would get on a Saturday night walking into the Bell Center. You got the cameras on you, you got your sharps. You're just trying to find that feeling and, and, and just trying to find that identity outside of hockey, something I'm really struggling with. That's a lot to unpack. I, I can't imagine the emotion of going from being on stage in front of 20,000 people, putting you on a pedestal, and then it's all gone. Yeah, it, it was. It was for me. And I think that's something maybe I'm, I'm still struggling with and I need to just let go. Our ambition with the show is to meet with other retired athletes, retiring athletes, as they go through their journey from one stage of their life to their next, to share some stories, inspirational stories, to help you 
to help you, the business guy, that's wondering what you're doing next in your life. Hey, listen, we've all faced identity crisis. We've all gone through life as we hit our 30s, our 40s, and our 50s wondering what's next. What am I doing next? Dale will sit down with us and talk about his journey. And like I said, the first of a two-part series. So, you're sitting here saying, Keith, why are you standing there with the peanut butter jar? Why the peanut butter jar? Well, it's November. It's no month. It is no month. What is no month? Well, it's the time you pick your poison. Maybe your poison is putting too many things on the yes list. Maybe your poison is peanut butter. Maybe it's chocolate. Maybe it's eating late. Maybe it's something that gets you out of your structure, gets you out of your sustained lifestyle, but yet you don't talk about it, but yet you're too ashamed to talk about it. Well, I'm giving you the platform and the challenge to talk about it and say, hey, you know what, Keith? I eat peanut butter too. I eat chips. I do this. Maybe this is a month you consider not going for drinks and going for your blood work instead. I don't know. Just things to think about. What we're saying is take the month of November, not the rest of your life. Maybe this is the first step you need, the first step back you need to take two steps forward. So we're doing something fun here on the Live in the Lab show, and uh, I have pledged my commitment to not eating peanut butter. And let me tell you, yes, it's going to be a challenge, but I can tell you I'm 30 hours into this, and I feel great. Woke up great today, and I just know how great I'm going to feel. And think about this, too. When I'm craving this, I always remind myself how good fit feels, how good I feel when I'm fit compared to how good I feel for a few seconds eating this and how shitty I feel a few moments and a number of tablespoons and thousands of calories into it. So there's your challenge. The month of no, November, coming up this month. All right, so I'm standing here. I'm going to go over there, have a seat, put the old headphones on and look back this way. And we're going to invite our next guest. Next guest. Why do I always say next guest? We're going to invite our first guest. Ian Clark. Let's look over there and bring in Ian. What's up, Ian? <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> I like it. I guess the timing of you being on our show is actually quite perfect. When I look at your your resume of what Ian Clark is, and we just think about reflecting upon how I introed the show with no month. And I'm and hey, I'm gonna be asking you about what your poison is and what you might want to pledge to, what you may consider pledging to. But before we go there. Let's set you up for the audience. Who is Ian Clark? Well, I am a father of seven children. I was born in 1958 on June the 7th, so I just turned 65. And I've been married for 40 years, which has been a very interesting run. And I had a serious life crisis at 46 years old where I was going to end up losing my body uh, there was I had three serious health issues that hit that hit me all at once, you know, within months of each other. And it was a rather gruesome time with medical doctors in 2004 telling me all these barbaric things that they were going to have to do to my body. And I opted out of that. It was uh, a very weird situation for me to opt out because anyone in that position would, of course, do everything their doctors told them because you don't know what you're doing. I didn't know what I was doing. And it, it ended up, uh, I remembered when 
my uncles on my mom's side, both my uncles died at 51 and 54 years old in 1978. They died two days apart, two uncles, two days apart, both of cancer, had different types of cancer. They both did exactly what their doctors told them and they died right on time. And I thought, here we are in 2004, 26 years went by like that. And I thought there have to be better ways and there weren't in the medical world. So I spoke to my older brother who was a medical doctor for 30 years and he, cause he would always give me advice on things. He wasn't my doctor, but he told me it was genetic predisposition. There was nothing I could do about it. Just follow through. And I was very unhappy to hear that. And I knew I woke up one morning and I, I just thought there have to be people on this earth somewhere who have a great deal of knowledge on how to support the body's ability to fix itself naturally. And, but it didn't, that didn't do me much good at that moment. It, it gave me some hope because I just had this gut feeling that I, I knew they had to exist. Just didn't know who they were, where they were, or how to find them. And there's 8 billion people out there. So it was uh, just one of those moments where I thought, well, if I could be led to those people, I would listen. I would do whatever I was told and I would see because maybe I could make it with that particular, you know, road. And it's just from then on, I <laughs> hit this barrage of people telling me I was totally nuts and my family being extremely upset. And I had to tell everybody to back off and leave me alone. My brother phoned my mom and told me I was committing suicide. And it was one of those things where you just, you got to take responsibility at some point rather than letting other people take responsibility for you. And it was a very fortunate thing that it went that direction because I ended up being led. I didn't go find those people because you can't, you could, you could give me $10 trillion then and tell me, go find them. I'd never found them because it doesn't, take money to find them. It takes being led and synchronicities and being in a path where you open up to things, you know, just opening up to the idea of it was the first step. And slowly those gaps filled in instead of having 36 months left to live. I had 36 months to figure out how to get it to 60 months. <laughs> and then I had 60 months to figure out how to get it to, I don't know what at the time, 15 years. And, Today, at almost 20 years later, I now know that there's an indefinite amount of runway in front of me now. It's just an endless runway I, and we're flying. So it's just a very interesting thing. And I, those are the things I have to share. Thank you for sharing that, Ian. You turned your body into a machine. I'm sorry, you turned, you turned, you turned, let me rephrase that question. <laughs> I got a lot going on in my head right now your body, your machine, you turned it into a business. And, and what I mean by that is that the entrepreneur and you said, there's a problem here that needs to be solved, starting with my own mirror. Mm -hmm. And that problem is I need to live longer than just 36 months or whatever it was you were given. And, and you said, okay, that's the challenge. And I work backwards from that. Am I clear on what, and I, did I state that correctly? Yes. Yeah. My, well, a business did come from this. I did not expect that. I didn't know. Well, that's, and that's where I was going to go with this is that you, you, I don't think you, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I don't think you woke up saying, I'm going to start a business here. The idea was I got to, I got to live my life past 36 months. Right. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, I had sold my little tiny company to a company in California who had moved 
me and my family and our business partner's family to Toronto, Ontario. And we got absorbed into this com other company that was put <laughs> within 24 months went, went bankrupt. And they sold at 23 cents in the dollar. And our agreement with them on the royalties on these two inventions we had was dismissed. And we, it put me into personal bankruptcy. So I was bankrupt in every possible way at that point. And I had, I was still on as an employee. They kept me on as an executive employee with the company, which kept me off the streets. You know, it was a really weird situation, but I used that the, the last part, because I had a five-year contract with them. The company who bought the company out of bankruptcy kept me on. And it was in March, 2007 when I was able to get out of there. And that's where this little tiny company started because by then I had learned in that three-year period, I had learned enough that I realized there are things you can really do that change you. And I found out about a thing called marine phytoplankton. And that's a nutrient that you consume. And I took it to California and showed it to some people down there at a natural expo, natural products expo in Anaheim. And then I went to a thing called raw spirit festival, which was like this hippie thing where people eat raw food and it's all organic and they're super clean eating. And I showed it to them and 24 months from that point forward, we sold $2.8 million worth of what's now called Oceans Alive. And we called it that then as well. Uh, Oceans Alive Marine Phytoplankton out of our basement in Toronto by just simply shipping product across the border with no company set up, no registration, no licenses, no insurance, no nothing to these groups of health enthusiasts who had followers. And we just they just sold it to their groups. We didn't have to do any work. We just filled bottles and sent it to them because we had exclusive access to this product, which was being produced in Europe at the time. And it was just coming to Canada in bulk and we were filling these bottles. So that was a very, very interesting time because all this money flowed in and we ended up, we only got about 800,000 of that money because we were selling it for one third, what they were selling it for. And, uh, and, but there was money and, and I knew that that wasn't my money that I had to be very careful with that. And we just reinvested it. We didn't take it. We lived a very frugal lifestyle at that time. Still do somewhat. And, uh, we just put it back in because I, I survived. It was like, I'm still alive. I, yeah. wow. And when you're going to, when you almost exit at that age, it's like this switch flipped with me where I was like, what's a government? What's, what's money time? What's all this crap that people have to worry about? If I was dead, I wouldn't have to worry about those things at all, but I'm alive. So let's use everything we have to the maximum for the benefit of everyone around us and see how much fun we can have. And by 2009, I was measuring back within the medical range. By 2011, the tumor that was in my body had totally dissolved itself out. That took seven years. And then I realized, and then we had millions of dollars coming in at that point because we took it really seriously and set up a company. And I thought, well, let's see how healthy we can get. Because I, I think the sky is not the limit. I don't think there's any limit to how healthy you can get. And it's not about age, unless you use age to your advantage. But most people have age to their disadvantage. 
and they're trying to fight the aging process. They're call it anti-aging. They call all these names, right? And I'm like, what? I don't, I'm not a, I'm not anti-aging. Are you kidding? I don't, I, I'm getting older, but I'm actually getting better and more youthful the older I get because of what I'm learning. So I am pro-aging because the older I get, the better I get, the healthier, more flexible, more mobile, more agile, better brain function, better digestive, better everything. It's like, that's how it's supposed to be. But I noticed that in the health and wellness world, in the biohacker world, people were getting older. And every time I saw them, they looked older. And then they would die. Experts and gurus were dying. And they were dying at, a, at the regular average age. So I knew something was terribly wrong. And I knew that I had to count on experts and gurus and sages at that time to explain to me what I needed to do. And I was becoming a product of that. So that was flawed because I didn't want to get to mid seventies, early eighties and pass. Cause that is the average age, even for health conscious people. Ian, what do you say? So let's, you're growing a business and you're dying at the same time. Am I correct? Well, um, I was growing a business and I was fighting for my life. Yes. Okay. I, I phrase it in, in, in the unfortunate way of looking at it. Let, let me, let me look at a different, let, let's rephrase it positively. Thank you for correcting me. You were build, you were, you were fighting for your life. And while that was happening, a business was emerging. The question yeah. I want to ask you is how are you dealing with this mentally and emotionally? Was it, was it just, I'm in, I'm literally in a fight for my life. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is I landed on the ground with a thud. Yes. And it was full on concrete. I like had instant I was it just boom. Rip yeah. the bandaid off, eh? No, yeah, you couldn't. I couldn't get worse. So I didn't I couldn't concern myself with that problem. Right. All I knew is that whatever was going forward was going to be better or not. And if it was or not, it couldn't get worse. It was as bad as it could be. And I'd been crucified for multiple things, you know, because I blew, you know, I went bankrupt. Wow, it was a mess. Everything was a dope, total mess. My marriage was a mess. It was just, it was just a messed up deal. And I, we had these seven children to, to take care of. And I had to learn all these things. I went through incredible transformations that I had no idea I needed to go through. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, I found out that all of the things that were incorrect were really my responsibility 100%. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't blame my genetics and my upbringing or, or the circumstances or the medical institutions or no, it doesn't. And I couldn't blame myself. Blaming yourself is like a cop out. Mm -hmm. You have to take responsibility for whatever is happening at that particular second and realize that there's a sowing and reaping process, just like farmers sow seeds in the spring and they reap harvest in the fall. And if they, if they sow good seeds, they get a good harvest. If they sow crap seeds, they get a crap harvest. And I was getting the biggest, ugliest harvest ever. And at the same time, I had to learn what wrong seeds I had planted incorrectly because of my lack of knowledge. And then get the knowledge to find out what seeds I need to plant now. And there's this huge time lag, years of time lag, between reaping everything that was sown up to that point, which was ugly, and then waiting to reap a, a beautiful healthy, bountiful harvest later. And it was like the simultaneous, you know, as the one was going down, the other one's coming up mm -hmm. and I had to be very patient 
you could I couldn't rush anything. It took you know seven years for the friggin' tumor to disappear. And the heart disease was about five years for that, for all those symptoms to be gone. My liver was malfunctioning at, at levels where the technician who measured my liver with a very sophisticated device told me I had to go to the hospital immediately, go straight to emergency. Don't go get groceries. Don't do anything. Just go straight to the hospital. That was in 2007, if you can imagine. And I was in California at that time. I wasn't at home in Canada. Yeah. Ian, this happened to you when you were 46, you said. Am I correct? Started at 46. Started at 46. So, uh, and it was heart issues, it was cancer, and it was liver. Well, I, I would not use the term cancer because the term cancer is a cop-out. It is a, it's a word that people like to use. I mean, if I, if I would have allowed it, I would have allowed somebody to go all the way through and say, oh, you have cancer. I had this big tumor that mm -hmm. grew right between my legs. It was up against my prostate. It was not a, nothing to do with my prostate, mm -hmm. but it was right there. And it was attached to my colon. And then it became a third testicle and grew into the rectum. That's a little bit too much information. But nonetheless, it was with every heartbeat. But I don't believe for one second that I had cancer. And the reason I say that, because I wouldn't allow any biopsies. I, I had been told by people early on, don't let them touch you. If they touch you, I'm talking medical mm -hmm. institute, mm -hmm. they could open up, you know, if it's a malignant tumor and they poke it for a biopsy, it could metastasize and then you're in a world of trouble. So I was like, no touch. Thank God that tumor was right there because I didn't, I was thinking about getting them to cut it out, but I thought it's right where I, right where I, all the male plumbing is. Mm -hmm. This is messed up. I didn't want, I couldn't mm -hmm. imagine somebody taking a scalpel and cutting me there. So I rejected it. And I was told you're, that's where I was told you're committing suicide. You're an idiot. Like just get the thing out of there. And your family created backlash and your family, you had mentioned that earlier in an interview that, you know, people looked at you like you were crazy. You were a nut. Am I correct? Yeah, definitely. I was going down the garden path. I was, I was my brother yeah. kept calling it snake oil. I would tell him about things and over the years, like over that year, years between 2004 and 2011, I would tell him things because my body radically changed. You could see a physical change to the positive after several years. And he goes, oh, that's just all snake oil. It's all snake oil. He would call it that. And I said, no, that's not snake oil. There's something to it. He says, well, where's the, where's the double-blind placebo-controlled randomized studies? He would always use that term. I said, well, there are none. Because it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to do studies on this. And very few people know about this. I am only knowing because of the experience. And in the physical world, thankfully, you can measure and you can see in the physical world, seeing is believing. I don't want some theory. I want to see results. I want to see measurable results. And I was seeing them. And I was still in the infant stages of this thing. You know, now we're at the, you know, eighth year university PhD level. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so simple today. All the complexities of how to get into the self-care revolution and, and get self-healing happening, supporting your body to heal itself is so simple that everyone misses it. Mm -hmm. And that's the complexity, right? Because everybody thinks, oh, it must be really expensive and really difficult. And you got to do all these things, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, if you don't have the knowledge, but once you get the knowledge, the more knowledge that came in, the simpler it became until now it is less than free. 
Now, people will spend time, energy, effort, and money on things in life. Mm-hmm. But when you find the greatest things to do, you spend the least amount of time, energy, effort, and money, which displaces all that other su- super expense that would normally be there without that knowledge. And that's why it's better than free. <laughs> in Were you ever a product of Western medicine? Or have you been somebody who has always, always explored all types of medicine, homeopathic, natural, as well as Western, or where, where, where have you drawn, where has your lawn been drawn? Well, I, I was raised in a family where I was the youngest out of five children. So all my brothers and sisters uh, went to university, got degrees, you know, master's degrees, PhD, mm-hmm. doc, you know, medical doctor, so on. And I was supposed to go to university. I, that was the plan. Mm-hmm. I always did extremely well in school and school was extremely boring for me. Ended up hitching out hitchhiking out west from Ontario to Alberta in 1976. And I fell in love with working in the oil field that summer. I didn't know that was going to happen. And I just loved the fast equipment, the powerful, you know, stuff that you're doing, working on wells, oil and gas wells down to 15,000 feet deep. And it was like rock and roll time. And I thought, man, this is like, this is it. So I ended up spending 17 years in the oil field. I never went back to university. I went to Never had any degrees, had no credentials. And it was this uh, this life experience that I didn't know had contaminated my body with all these chemicals, heavy metals, lead, cadmium, mercury. I was absolutely loaded down. So all I knew was allopathic. I only knew to go to the doctor. That's what you do. You go to the doctor. You go to the dentist. You do what you're told. That's what. That's the way I was raised. So it was completely unorthodox to go in any other direction. And now you've mentioned homeopathy, all these different things that I have, I have been exposed to everything mm-hmm. in the last 20 years at the highest levels from all over the world. I was able to travel because we had millions of dollars coming in that I could then reinvest and just, if you, for example, if I met you and you had a certain level of knowledge and you said, hey, you're into this stuff, wow, I know some people. You got to go to Germany or you got to go to France or you have to go to Liechtenstein or whatever you would tell me, I would be able to go and I would. And then I would learn. And that's how it went. So I got to filter out all of the good, great and greater stuff in order to find out what is the actual greatest stuff? What is the stuff that's at the very top highest level? Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. That's what this whole last 20 years has been all about. I didn't know that was going to be the journey, but it's been a very good time. And I, uh, I just got better and better and better. And it was able to share more and more key information for people so that they could have the keys that I had been given. Mm-hmm. I consider this was a gift to me because I didn't like we had money coming in. I didn't even feel like I was earning it, even though we were doing that by creating value. Because like I said before, when I almost died, it was like money. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Don't talk to me about money. Because it didn't mean anything anymore. Yeah, I just saw it as fuel in a tank. You could have the nicest vehicle in the world, and with no gas, you've got nowhere to go. And the tank just kept filling up. When you go through that experience, time becomes your currency, doesn't it? To your point, money does. I never really considered that until you said that. But money is worthless to you. Time is your time is the value. Yes, that's right. Exactly correct. And if anybody at at your age, I'm a little younger than you, my friend. <laughs> 
I say that tongue in cheek because I'm always the old guy around the room these days. It seems like with my kids and my family and everybody else around. So I'm like, all right, I get to I get to hang out with somebody who's in my peer group, Mr. Ian Clark here, who's just a smidgen a little older than I am, um, with some wonderful life experiences. Ian, you are an inspiration for others. Do you do you recognize that when you tell your story, or do you just think, ah, this is just humble me and this is just what I am? Uh, well, I learned over time that it's very inspiring. Yes. People, yeah, people see themselves in in your life when you are open and transparent. I'm learning that, and and I and I, I'm learning that very rapidly every single day. And, and you've taught me something already. You've reminded me of something already. Uh, and it's this theme happening, and it's it's weaves back to AI. Right, everybody's rushing to AI, everybody's rushing to AI, and humans. What's the value of human beings? I said this to my guest Kurt Stein last week. I said we all just got a raise in the last six months. Kurt's our age, Ian, and he's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Well, our value, our wisdom, the lines on our forehead, the gray hair in our head, has more value than ever." And you've just expunged upon that because you've talked about not aging. You've talked about living and learning, and I love that philosophy that you're that you're you're so grateful for, for aren't you? Oh yeah. Well, this is, I'm exceptionally full of gratitude for having given this because I knew I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Shown and I was, and I was like, why, why was I given such grace and such access in spite of myself? Right. You know, we all have our weaknesses. We are, you know, it's the 90, 10 rule. Yes. Yes. And we, and we know that Keith's weakness here, he's been publicly talking about putting himself out there is the peanut butter, no challenge here. So it doesn't matter how much structure, accountability, sustainability, I have a weakness and it's that jar right there. Right. So I'm appreciative of your comment because we all have them, don't we, Ian? Yes. Yes, that's right. And, and you, I, what I learned is this principle, don't dwell on your weaknesses. You cover them, never, never look at them or dwell on them and then simply build your strength. So mm-hmm. 10% of your existence is weakness in average. Most people, 90, 10. Some people are 80, 20. Some people are 70, 30. That's really dangerous, right? Right. But, uh, when you're 90, 10, then you can cover that 10 completely by purging. So we're, this is really purgatory we're in now. We're not waiting for purgatory someplace down the road. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. life is the purge. And it's all mathematical. You know, I, I'm... I get, people call me a nerd now. <laughs> I mean, I, I was maybe I was a nerd in school, kind of, but I was kind of like into sports and things as well, uh, and and very adept at certain things. But <laughs> the nerd part of me loves statistics. Mm-hmm. So you know, things like like peanut butter are easy to overcome because they are they're addictive, for sure, and that you crave you have something in your body that's crying out for that. And yet your body, you know that your body is not doing well with that cry out. Mm-hmm. So there's something incorrect in the messaging or the streams of data because your body has massive streams of data mm-hmm. that are coming up from every cell in your body in through your heart. This is all scientific. There's nothing mm-hmm. about this. In through your heart, your heart drives all the energy up to the brain and the brain makes decisions going back in through the heart to the gut, your gut instinct, your passion, and then your calculator is driving your behavior. And people try to change their behavior, but they don't know what's driving the behavior. If they knew how to fix what is driving the behavior, which is what I've learned, 
then they can go all the way down to the very foundation of your existence of who you are and make the repairs down there. And then all the streams of data that are data that are coming from there are then uh, there, the algorithms are corrected. So those algorithms start to change everything. And ultimately your behavior automatically changes and then you get all the good results. You know, results are always at the very top. Yes. Yes. What, what I learned is your physiology is at the base. That's at the very bottom of that arrow that points up that takes you to success. Mm -hmm. When people don't realize it's their physiology, then they're trying everything. They're trying to, you know, get, get better feelings. They're trying to think better. They're trying to have better behaviors. They're trying to kind of like this force this thing that can be completely automatic. And once you get into the automated side and you talk about artificial intelligence, I think that term is interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, there is vast intelligence about reality. And reality is just as real as I walk into a blacksmith shop right now, put my thumb on an anvil and start smashing with a five pound sledgehammer, which of course I won't do. But the intelligence tells me that if I were to do something foolish like that, trying to prove something to you how tough I was, my thumb will be smashed no matter what I think. It's just not possible to get past that five pound sledgehammer on the anvil being smashed, right? Pretty <laughs> brutal example, but yes. that, the reality around that is full of data and intelligence that keeps me from doing such a stupid thing or to try to prove something that's not, that's just not true. Mm -hmm. So intelligence is based on you and you and, and I and everyone tapping into truth. And the reason that you are doing this show and the reason the people who are listening, you who are listening is because you're, you're excited about learning something that's going to vastly improve you in every category of your life because you want to be of better service to the people around you. You want to make your universe, which you're in a better place. You know, it's pretty tough to go and say, I'm going to change the universe, but you're in your universe. I'm in mine and our universes are, 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 you know, going into coherence right now and resonance to be able to share data. So this is a data sharing situation, but the data has to be based on reality because if I'm just another one of these gurus and experts and sages that comes along, who's going to die right on time with everybody else, then we have failed. Because here's, here's a fact, a healthy body can't die. You know, unless it's in an accident, the chances of an accident are very low. It could happen, but it's like 5% chance. So if you're not killed by an accident, by having your body torn apart in, a, in an accident, you're going to continue living until you die of a cause. And that cause is going to be multiple things in the health space where your health declines to the extent that you are now dead. So when you have getting, when you're getting healthier every single day, going into the future, what you're doing is you're taking that end of your life and you're moving it away from you all the time. At 46 years old, the end of my life was right at 49. I was like, what is it doing there? What is this? 49? What was with my uncles? You know, they had one year between the diagnosis and their death. You know, so my one uncle was 50. His end of life was 51. My, my other uncle was 53. His end of life was 54. What? How did it get there? And then they died. They, they didn't have the bandwidth. They didn't have the access to knowledge. They couldn't. They died. They really died. And then if they lived till 100, like my mom, lived to, her, to five months shy of her 100th birthday, 
she had a different experience. Her end of life was out there. And she didn't do the things that her brothers did. She was had to live a different lifestyle. So there's that, but then hold it. A hundred is nothing. We're talking hundreds of years. And if I say to you, oh, you know, Keith, I, I've, I run into the, the, the knowledge, the data, the intelligence that allows your body to get healthier and healthier as you get older instead of less healthy and less healthy. And I don't know how long we could live. Maybe it could be hundreds of years. And people used to live over 900 years at one point on this earth rec recorded. Um, they would think, well, this guy is not even worth listening to. Like, we're, we're going to click off now because he just said what? But that's not a harmful thing to tell you. That should be of great interest because I did find out what the truth is around that, which we can talk about. It took you to be scared of dying at 46 to truly appreciate living. Am I, am I correct with that statement? Mm -hmm. Like your joy for life, listening to you speak, like I'm just shutting up and listening because to hear you, you have a joy of living, Ian. And I can tell there's no fear. There's no, you're full of gratitude. Every single day you wake up, you know, it's a day that might not have been 20 some odd years ago. Oh yeah, for sure. Every day is an adventure and it truly is because I don't, we, none, none of us know what today is going to bring. We have a pretty good idea, but we don't know for sure. And you've seen how many variables in your life happen. Yes. You're yes. like, what? Yes. yes. Yeah. You're always thinking somebody's having a shittier day, right? Yes. So, but yet you never really know what somebody's story is either. Mm -hmm. Yes. Ian, what, what are some common misconceptions or myths? The ones that are outside of the box about natural health and healing that you've encountered right? You know, to, to our audience, you know, we, we probably hear the, the obvious ones all the time, but what are some common misconceptions that, that you know yourself through your experience? If I can finish the question, I guess, now that I think about it, that you know yourself through your experience is like, oh no, that's a myth. This is real. That's right. Well, there are multiple myths that I have ran into and I was, it, we'll call them a paradox because okay. we know for sure that people die average between in North America between 74 and 79 right now. That's the average life expectancy. Mm -hmm. Of course, people live till 100. Of course, people sure. die in the 50s. We're talking 70, 74 to 79. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Men, men and women? Yep. Okay. It's, yeah, because it's kind of a combination between men and women, the 74 to 79. Yes. Okay. In the health conscious community, people who are very, you know, up on what they're eating, you know, yes. how they're protecting themselves, how they live, their environment, and so on. Uh, they meditate, they exercise, they're mindful, they, they love people, they are happy people. They live till an average of 81 to 85. They get a little bit longer. If you go to the blue zones, which is all the rage, you know, people love to talk about blue zones because more people live till 100 in the blue zones. Okay. But the average age in the blue zones is 83. It's right in the middle of the health conscious community, 81 to 85. So with that knowledge, that tells you and me that we don't know something, but mm -hmm. everything around us confirms that that's the truth, but it's actually a myth. Here's the issue. When we're little kids, we come into the world and we see our grandparents get old and they die. And then we become adults and we get into later parts of our life. And then we watch our parents get old and they die. Well, that totally confirms it. And this happens with everyone around us. And so that has been totally accepted 
that data has programmed us and we totally believe that that is true, but it's actually not true. It's only true when you do what everyone else is doing, when you accept that paradigm, but when that paradigm gets shattered by the actual knowledge of how your body operates, your physical body then just continues to live on. And you can speak to your body in a much different manner. And plus you open yourself up to all kinds of new things that people don't talk about and they don't know about because they've accepted that, that myth. But, you know, we talk about a myth, it's programming. So that, that's the paradox. The paradox mm -hmm. is the older you get, the better you get. You, you have athletes. Look at all of the athletes. They are in their prime in their 20s. They're mature and phenomenal in their 30s. And then they're retired by their in their 40s, most of them, or earlier. Mm -hmm. in. So that, that we see, you can't go to a, an athlete and say, hey, dude, did you know that if you started doing this, this, and this, and this at 22 to 23 to 24 years old, you'll be able to maintain that performance indefinitely. Unless you're Tom Brady. <laughs> well, yeah. Now, Tom, Tom has, has gets to a point, though, where he will expire. It'll just be longer. He's like one of those guys that lives till 115 or 120. It's like, wow, mm. that's amazing. Well, what's so amazing about it? Right. You got what, what, you're, what, you're, what you're questioning in many ways, uh, Ian, is, is why aren't we expecting it? It's like, why are we surprised? Like, it, we should just be expecting that somebody's going to live to 100, 110 instead of being surprised that they're 100, 110. That, that's really what you're saying. Yeah, that's all 150, 200. Like, <laughs> 150, yes, 150, 200. What are you, you going to look like at 200? Well, what I'm going to look like at 200 is a very healthy 200-year-old. Like, right now, I look 65 years old because I am 65 years old. I've had a certain amount of weather beating, you know, I'm, I've been exposed to whatever and all the pollutants and everything. So my exterior look is around a 65 year old, but I'm a super healthy looking 65 year old. And everybody notices that. Yes. That's because biologically I'm between 25 and 35 years old biologically in a range, which is always improving and structurally. So all the connective tissue, cartilage, joints, muscles, you know, the, your whole operating system that allows you to move around like a young person is also between 25 and 35 years old right now, mm -hmm. which is unusual because most 65-year-olds are getting stiff and sore, and especially when they get into their 80s. Well, what I learned is the more, the older you get, the better you become, the more agile, the more flexible, the stronger, more endurance. It's, it's a paradox. <laughs> there's so much logic in that statement though, isn't there? When you just pause and think about it for a second, because if you, because if, if we remove age from the equation and we say to ourselves, okay, well, if I do that, if I do this task over and over and over and over, I'm becoming an expert in it. If I type, you know, these keys on this keyboard over and over, I'm going to become super expert. But the moment you say age, we, we throw it out the window. My point is, is that if you, strength train, do bench press for pick, pick a random weight, strength train for, for 50, 60, 70 years, well, of course you're going to get better at it, aren't you, Ian? That's right. Your muscles are going to be trained. Your, your, your synapse, your whole algorithmic streams of data are going to become better at using energy so you're not wasting energy, losing the strength. The but, only caveat there yes. is that when people get into exertion that is beyond the realm of their body's physical capabilities, where they're trying to prove something and get 
lift heavier and heavier weights, they go into apoptosis, where they could do similar things, but only in a different form, where they get into something called autophagy. There's a big difference between apoptosis and autophagy. So if you see somebody building a body that's just super powerful, muscular, like they're winning Mr. Olympia, you know, or Miss Olympia or whoever it is, they have damaged themselves so heavily mm -hmm. that they have this tax that has hit their body that's going to shorten their life significantly <clears throat> compared to a person who learns how to use weights for autophagy. autophagy yes. Stands your life. I'm speaking exactly. I'm speaking more from the concept of strength, right? Like just, you know, you, you, your body needs to have strength. I'm not talking about, you know, how much, how much can you bench Ian? It's, it's, can you, can you walk on your hands and easy? Can you crawl? Can you do a push up? Can you do some simple things where you still have strength in your body? Because I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that somewhere along the line, as we age in life, we kind of go, ding, oh, I'm too old now to go to the gym or oh, no, I can't go lift weights or oh, I can't go do a squat. And, and, and there's this, this light going on and I haven't hit it yet. Cause I'm still a young 51 year old and it's, I'm, I'm going to be squatting in my eighties or nineties is my goal. Uh, because I, you know, my, that's just part of my lifestyle. But for many people, the light goes on, not, nah, I just don't do it no more. And you're saying, well, no, no, but why would you, when you can keep getting better and better and better, just change what you're doing because you're learning along the way. That's right. Yeah. And for sure. And that's one major, major component. The, the weight training is a major part of longevity mm -hmm. because your muscles are your battery charger and your battery is your bone marrow. Mm -hmm. so if you lose, because that, what happens, there's sarcopenia with people from 55 years old and up is, it becomes more and more common and sarcopenia is muscle wasting. The, the fibers of the muscle start to deteriorate and they come apart. And that's why you see old people, <clears throat> they lose their mobility because they literally don't have the strength to keep going because they didn't know how vitally important it was to nurture that part of their system. Because and, they were always taught that Western medicine was reactively. Would you agree with that? Yes. No, very much so. Yeah, everything is reactive. I mean, all of us are reactive. Yes. So it's not how you act, it's how you react. And if your reactions are poor, it makes it much worse. Where when your reactions are intelligent and wise, it makes it much better. So, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ian, how can natural health approach, how can natural help, health approach uh, help with mental and, and emotional well-being with athletes that are going through retirement, uh, hitting a stage in their life where, you know, I've been identified as one thing my entire life. I'm on to my next. Mm -hmm. uh, what what natural solutions, what natural topics or ideas would you give to our to our athletes? Well, what they have to become is mathematicians, which is a kind of weird statement. Let me explain. Uh, everything we do is mathematical. Mm -hmm. Every single thing, like how much practice they they put into their profession determined how good they were, right? Mm -hmm. But they wore out. Their body literally wore out. They were either injured or they just got to the place where they just didn't mm -hmm. have the energy and the stamina anymore. And they're out because they're not kicking the goals anymore. They're not, you know, right? So mm -hmm. something is wrong, terribly wrong with that because they should not have that happen. And I know how to prevent that from happening. So what, what everyone has to do is you have to stand, like you, you mentioned earlier, standing back a little bit, taking a, like a few steps back to take two steps forward. 
let's step back a little bit and just see what is affecting us. What are the things that are really causing our bodies to come apart and eventually die? What is it? Because when they retire, even the word retirement should never be in our vocabulary. No. We are, we're transitioning to the next phase. Yes. But the reason they say retire, because they are literally not capable any longer of doing that. And they don't even want to now because they're not excelling. They've kind of they hit their peak and they kind of plateaued and now they've gone down far enough. Oh, I'm retiring. Well, what if you could go to your peak and remain there indefinitely? Mm -hmm. That's it. Now you have to know that that's possible by speaking it. And you can't be, it's not positive thinking and positive talking. It's realistic thinking and realistic, right? Talking. So it's math. So what happened with me is <laughs> when I started to see all the sages and the gurus and the experts dying on time, which would just blow my mind. I'm like, dude, what did that guy not know? All right. So what he doesn't know, I don't know either. And once I opened up the space in my mind to say, I actually don't know the answer. And I know that no one on this earth that I have met knows the answer. I don't know anyone who I met does not know those answers. Therefore, I know for sure the knowledge has to be somewhere and none of us have it. So let's open up a space in our minds for that knowledge to come in. I can't force the knowledge to come in. Like, I'm not some super whiz that's going to run around and figure it all out. That's not going to happen. It was the same thing as being led to people who are at a much, much higher level than anyone I'd ever heard of in life, learning from them and then elevating up to that level and then keep going like that, you know, higher, higher, higher. Well, I got to the top of all the top of the top people and then realized that they didn't know either. And so when I opened up the space, then the knowledge slowly filled that in. And it filled it in, not from one person who had all the answers, but from several people who had very dis definitive, distinctive answers to that problem. How do you fix your structure? How do you reverse the biological age of your organ function and your cellular function back to a 25 to 35 year old and maintain that indefinitely? And so therefore, I'll, let me ask you a question, Keith. Uh, how much air do you think you breathe in a day? Probably not enough. No, well, your body automatically breathes. It just, you know, whether you're awake or sleeping, the average adult will breathe around 11,000 liters a day. And that's about 11,000 quarts or say okay. 3,400 gallons of air. You know, the average people, person will do 11,000 liters of air a day is what I will breathe. Is that what you're saying to me? Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's average. Uh, all adults are in that category from, you know, around 21 years old onward, you're breathing around 11,000 liters a day. Okay. And I, I want you to keep that number in your mind. That means you're breathing 4 million liters a year, every 10 years, 40 million liters. So it's easy to do math when you're in the metric system. So that's what you're breathing in. Your lungs have a surface area, which has been measured. They've taken human lungs apart of a healthy adult who died young and they took it apart and they measured the actual surface area in this matrix which is not a balloon it's a very intense flesh organ that has 100 square miles of surface area in it people think it'd be the size of a soccer field try again 100 square miles so 10 miles by 10 miles square 100 square miles that's how big it is 
And the air that you breathe in instantaneously has to transfer through that surface area instantly into the bloodstream. And the bloodstream has to pick all that air up, every breath in, take it straight to the heart. The heart then is the input and output to billions of pulses through your system. Because if you look in the microscope, your, your arteries, your veins, and your capillaries are pulsing. Every, every fraction of, of an inch is pulsing and is moving all that blood to every cell in your body. And you only have five liters of blood in your whole body right now. Five liters, five quarts, that's it. And every single minute of the day, every 60 seconds, your body pumps all five liters through the entire system. The length of your system, and this is all measured again, mm -hmm. arteries, veins, and capillaries is 6,400 miles, 10,000 kilometers every, every minute. So our bodies are, are a miraculous biological phenomena. And the reason that is so critical that it's every minute in every cell, because that's the only way you can get the nutrients, the oxygen, nitrogen, and all the stuff you're breathing in, into the cells. And it's also carrying the food you're digesting 24 hours a day, because the food you digest is constantly digesting, constantly be delivered by your blood system. And if your heart stops right now, if you're for some reason, weird reason, if your heart were to stop mm -hmm. and not start again, mm -hmm. uh, you have eight seconds and you are blacked out on the ground. That's how long it takes. Eight seconds only. If I don't get to you in eight minutes to resuscitate you, you're dead. So how important is breathing and how important is blood flow? Well, it is absolutely critical. You have 86,500 heartbeats per day. And so you've got like, these are very, very real numbers. Anybody can check it out, do the research, you'll find out all these things are true. So with that knowledge, I'm like, okay, that has to tie in to what is causing us to rapidly age as we get older. Or it could potentially be used to stay younger and younger and younger as we get older, depending on how we manage mm. that whole system. If I were to put myself in a very, very unhealthy, polluted climate, you know, environment, I'm going to live a lot shorter life because you're, you are breathing in the stuff that doesn't come out. Mm -hmm. Now, the blood system absorbs it all, as I've just spoken about, and you only have your liver and your kidneys to filter the blood. And you only have five liters of blood. And you're circulating that five liters constantly, filling that five liters with what you're breathing. So what is in the air you're breathing? That's the next question. Depending on where you're living, uh, if you live in North America, you're breathing, you're, you're one of the people filtering out, 11, uh, it is 10 billion pounds of tire dust that's released into the atmosphere every year off the highways, 10 billion pounds. And that goes a mile and a half above the highways in nanoparticles. And tires are made of rubber, cotton, epoxy, resins, plastics, metals, and chemicals. Seven major things that are in a nanoparticulate size that you're breathing. You can't see it. It's not on the ground anywhere. There's no rubber built up on the highways. The highways are always at the same, same level. And when they measured with helicopters above the highway, they found that the tire dust goes a mile and a half off. And these are what I call nano razor blades, because if you look at them under a nanoscope, they look like little razor blades. Mm -hmm. Now, and then there's brake dust. There's massive amounts of brake dust that comes off brakes of vehicles. We are living in such a low tech age. We're still driving around on these tires and using brakes to stop the vehicles. It's insane. 
we use great big trucks with 18 wheels on them. It's outrageous that we're doing that. And now so we're going. I'm, so I'm thinking you're not, you're not driving in a horse and buggy though. And you're not, you know, you don't live on an Island or in a shack in the middle of nowhere. I'm, I'm going right. to assume you live in modern society yeah. and, and you accept the risks that come with the tire dust and the cars and everything else that come with it. Am I correct as well? Absolutely. I mean, we're not going to change. We are not going to change that anytime soon. Right. Uh, they talk about CO2 emissions and climate change and, and we got to go to battery powered cars. Well, that's the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life because mathematically it doesn't work at all. It's the exact opposite of what we should be doing because battery powered cars burn tires out and brakes out almost twice as fast. And why do they do that? Because they're heavier. It takes more to stop them. They're more powerful because they have electric motor on each each wheel now they're much faster and mm -hmm. so they burn tires out faster it's like oh good idea yeah let's do that so the point of this is i'm telling you all the gloom and doom hell look how bad it is you know this is only two things of thousands of things that are in the air industrial pollutants plastics microplastics heavy metals it's everywhere you know that we're cremating human bodies that died from contaminating themselves so much with the stuff that they finally died that's actually what's killing you. It's called particulate matter. And people look it up. They don't put it in the news ever. They don't talk about particulate matter, but you can find it online. There's scientists that have totally analyzed this stuff. So when I started learning about particulate matter, I'm like, nano. Oh, nice. Okay. Let's check it out. Therefore, the one thing that you have to do to fix that for yourself, and you can only fix it for you. Nobody can fix it for you. There's no doctor. There's no no technology, there's no nothing that can fix it for you. You're the one who has to fix it. I found out that our bodies are blood production facilities. Our body will produce clean blood 24 hours a day. But our bodies don't do that unless you find out how to get your body into that mode. It wants to produce clean blood every single day, 24 hours a day, but it can't because it doesn't have the raw material it needs. Like peanut butter is not a, not a raw material your body's going to produce blood with. Peanut butter is going to contaminate your blood system even more. Yes. Right. So anything that contaminates you more, it could be alcohol, it could be stimulants, it could be, you know, obviously the air you're breathing, but people focus, they laser focus, oh, it's the food I'm eating. If I can eat clean food, I'll live way longer. Not so. Because the food does not have the raw material in it for your body to produce clean blood. Your body is always producing blood, but just a little bit all the time. And that's why that five liters gets so contaminated that the difference between when you're 20 years old and you're 60 years old is only 40 years. But here's the difference. A 20-year-old has breathed 160 million liters of air less than the 60-year-old. So at 60, you breathe 160 million liters of this air with all this accumulated crap in it that you've now accumulated 40, 40 years worth. That's why you're messed up at 60 and you had no choice. But if you would have found out at 20, how to feed your body the raw material every single day to produce clean blood, you would have just as clean blood at 20 as you did at 60. A 60 year old has a 35% efficiency in their kidneys compared to a 20 year old. That's the average right now. And because kidneys are a major filter. Mm -hmm. So people think, well, that's just normal. Just accept it, you know, get with the program. Of course, that's what it is. Every, all 60 year olds are like that. Okay. That's not normal. What's normal about it? So I found out what caused it is what we're breathing because we didn't produce clean blood. Our blood system just can't, it can't keep up. 
our liver gets plugged up, our kidneys get plugged up. That's just a fact. And the more they get plugged up, the more they get plugged up. It gets worse. Take a look at a person who's 65 years old. They don't look a whole lot different than when they were 35. They might have gray hair and some more wrinkles. But, you know, a person who took care of themselves, they don't look that much different. Go from 65 to 85 and have a look at them. There is this massive difference between 65 and 85, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they're dead. Usually they're all dead by then. On time. And you, you've used that term many times in today's show, dying on time. Right. <laughs> How about you live on time? That was... I paused because that's just an awesome sound clip because you're right. It is living on time instead of dying on time. Western medicine and Western society and Western lifestyles teach us to die on time. Right. That's right. And they guarantee it by ensuring that you don't know what's the problem and you don't know how to fix it because you're trained to be distracted by every other thing that you're supposed to do that doesn't work. Because when I saw all the gurus and the sages and the, and the health experts dying on time, I'm like, wow, dude, seriously, that guy just died. And he was 70 years old. There, there's a guy who ran Price Pottinger uh, Foundation for many decades. He's a super cool guy. His name was David Getoff. I love this guy because he I, I only got to meet him a couple of times and listen to him. But he was standing behind the podium with no PowerPoint. He had so much knowledge in the health space. That it, and it was so entertaining. He was such a gifted speaker. He would he would give you the most interesting data for eight hours. He would take breaks in between. Mm -hmm. He'd break for, for coffee or lunch or whatever. But <laughs> and he died at 70 years old. And when because I was gonna go look him up this year. I, I was gonna be down in San Diego in February, and I hadn't been down there for a while. And I thought, oh, I really want to go see David. So I, I looked up to get a hold of him, and he had died October of 2022. And it was again like a further confirmation of this crap. So anyway, and then does it make you think to yourself, ah, he was a farce because he died right on time? Like it, it, it disappoints you almost, doesn't it, Ian? Well, it's super disappointing, but no, he was not a farce. He was he was a very down to earth, really mm -hmm. cool guy. He did not have any agendas. He was not out trying to make money off people's lack of knowledge. He was just sharing as best as he possibly could. He was actually a super cool guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I realized, okay, well, David didn't have that one thing he needed to know. He didn't have it. That one and, thing and I would have loved to have told him about it. I was planning on telling him what I'd been learning, you know, in February. By February, I had learned pretty much all of the keys that was of what was going on. And, and so I wanted to share that with him. But anyway, that was, yeah, super disappointing for him and for me not to be able to see him again mm -hmm. and talk to him. Uh, he wasn't a close buddy or anything like that, but, you know, a colleague in the space. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My goal every show was to learn something from my guests, and I'm just learning time and time again that I need to schedule longer time with these exceptional human beings that I meet every single day. You know, Ian, I'm fortunate I get to do the show every single day, and I meet people like yourself and to hear these stories, and then it's like, oh, my goodness, an hour is already up. Wow. So I want to be respectful of your time, but I also want to be respectful of of activation products and give you a platform to talk a little bit about, you know, the business, uh, things, questions that I may not have asked you about that you want to make sure our audience is aware of or how they can find you. We're going to have you back for part two, clearly. Um, but, but for now, what could you tell our audience about activation products? Something that you want to make sure the audience knows that I haven't told them so we can get that as a sound clip before I come back with two final closing questions. 
Yes. And so yeah, Activation Products started in 2007. And so we're in, we're going into our, <clears throat> our 17th year as we speak. And it was founded based upon ocean minerals and ocean nutrients. And I didn't know how important they were at that time. It has now gone full circle. The only, I found out through all of the scientific research and all the data that I analyzed that sea minerals in their unrefined form are the raw materials that our bodies need to produce clean blood 24 hours a day. I just wasn't taking enough of them. In 2022, I found out the exact amount to take, and I've been doing that since then, and my body has completely and totally changed in the last year in a real positive way. We don't have time to talk about that right now. We can cover that some other time. Mm -hmm. But sea minerals, because people, I'm sure, are very anxious to find out what is the raw material. <clears throat> so it has to be a, a pure form of the entire spectrum of sea minerals that are found in the ocean in different places of the earth that we have now found and sourced where it is unrefined, solar dehydrated, hand harvested, and you simply mix exact amounts in fluid water. You convert mm -hmm. water into electrolytic fluid and you drink them. And complementary to these sea mineral products, we have detoxification products that are coming from all natural sources. And they're in the form of either oils or uh, a, a stuff that removes things out of your system like cleansing and nourishing your body constantly. And also things like iodine. People are not familiar with the fact that every, every cell in your body requires iodine. They always think thyroid when they think iodine, or they think, you know, fixing a cut or infections with iodine. No, it goes into every cell of your body. And these things that we discovered along the road through all the scientific research of simplification of the data, activation products then acquired that next product line and put that out to our audience, which is direct to consumer. So we didn't hide behind a shield. Most natural product companies hide behind shields called distributors and resellers and health food stores and various different things. We set it up so that people could talk directly to me, directly to our company, give us instantaneous, instantaneous feedback on the results that they were getting with the products that we were bringing in which ensured us that we were on the right track to, to make sure people spend the least amount of time, energy, effort, and money in order to get the maximum return in their investment. Because all of us are investing in our health. All of you are investing in your health and you want to get a good return. So Activation Products was founded based upon that. Uh, the products are complementary and essential. So they're the must-haves. And the most important part of the things that Activation shares is the knowledge so that you know why you're going to do what you're going to do. Finally, you get to know why. And then that motivates you and you can take action. And then all the automated responses that come from your physiological base up through the channels, all the way up to your behavior and results are optimized. Activationproducts.com. For those of you that are listening right now or want to check out the, the or listening on the show later, uh, I'm on the site right now. It's uh, clearly, it's a well-designed, easy site. You can see the products right in front of you. So if you're listening to this, either on the podcast or checking it on YouTube, and you're curious about what Ian's talking about, I invite you to check out Activation Products um, and uh, and learn a little bit more about what, what, uh, what, what, uh, what Ian's company is all about. Ian, two final questions. If I can just grab before we say goodbye. Uh, sleep, obviously a really important thing. And we all talk about it and we all desire to have many hours of it. How many hours a night do you sleep? 
Well, my body likes to sleep around five and a half to six hours a night. It used to be seven to eight hours. I let my body decide how long it's going to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I go to sleep when I'm tired. My body tells me, hey, time to go to sleep. And I also do a power nap sometime during the day, usually middle afternoon. Mm-hmm. And that power nap gives me an extra eight hours of totally clean energy. Yeah, interesting. It's a, those those are great tips. I I'm learning. You know, so obviously, sleep's a really important thing. Uh, I I try to get my my as many hours as I possibly can. But I'm learning, just like you have just stated, that I let my body tell me when it times time, when it's time to go and when it's time to wake up. And I'm I'm uh, it's something that I'm learning as I'm going through my fifties that I didn't really experience before in my forties. I would say to you. Yeah, and the quality of sleep is essential because you you go into your deep REM sleep, your deep delta sleep. And your body is restoring and you have to have your autonomics and autonomic system has to be dialed in perfectly to go into parasympathetic to rest and digest and heal. And that's in the circadian rhythm of the earth is important as well. You don't want to be up all night and sleeping from four right. in the morning until, you know, 10 or something like that. You want to be before midnight as much as you can and then wake up early. Yeah. And finally, just some fun part of what we're doing here live in the lab. I, you know, my business partner always said to me, don't make assumptions for somebody else. So I can't assume that you don't have your poisons. Uh, you know, even though you're a young man, you're in your 20s, you, you know, you told me you look like your 60s. I don't even think you look like you're in your 60s. So I'm going to give you maybe your 40s, but I sure as hell don't think you're 60s. So, but anyways, you're telling me you're, you're telling me that you're in your 20s, which is fantastic. Does Ian Clark have any poisons that he wants to pledge to saying no to this month of November? Or you're like, nah, Keith, I'm beyond all that. I got it all figured out. Well, no, I've, I've had things that, that, that plagued me along the way, for sure, and they still could. Uh, one of them is any kind of caffeine, uh, whether it's a matcha latte tea or a coffee. I have eliminated them. Uh, I did it based on mathematics, but I love them. Yeah. And so once in a while, I'll have something. It's not, it's not a big deal at all. Yes. But they, are, they were the things, that, that was the thing that kind of was the most difficult, was the stimulants. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. So that, that that would say that would be my Achilles heel would be that, but that that's mathematically taken care of. Well, I would invite you to consider the no challenge, the month of no. I I it's it's worked for me, and I've thrown. I live a very structured, systematic, sustainable, neurotic lifestyle. Boring, frankly, it's boring. It's the same thing every single day, but but I have my weakness in, and it's this. And then when I have the weakness, it sets me off course, right? So last November wasn't feeling very good about myself. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to say no to peanut butter this month. It just became no peanut butter month. And it did wonders going into Christmas. And it, it did wonders just in teaching me as I've, as I've aged into my 50s, right? And I just made it a pledge this week. I said to my team, all right, guys, it's November. What are you guys saying no to? No peanut butter. And we're starting this fun thing. So I invite you to you know pledge yourself with maybe no caffeine, no stimulants for the month, and you can join the fun with us for the month. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Ian Clark, thanks for joining me today in the lab. Uh, Will you come back and join us again? Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, it was fun. I really enjoy your your energy and you're a great interviewer and I I would love to come back, yes. Fantastic. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. So listen, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to put you into the old uh, green room over there and I'm going to say goodbye to the audience and I'm going to come back and say goodbye to you and walk you out the door uh, with a handshake in hand, okay? If you just be be patient for one second here. We're going to do this. Boom. We're going to put me here, still staring at the right camera here today. Maybe we'll go to this one here today. Yes. 
I hope you guys enjoyed. You know, I hope you guys enjoyed today's chat with Ian Clark. Uh, again, I, I learned a ton on today's show, and I find myself at the end of every show just wired with gratitude. I get to meet these incredible human beings that I get to hear their stories. I get inspired by them, and I hope you were inspired by today's story from Ian. If you weren't, well, then this is not the show for you. Straight up. If you weren't inspired by somebody uh, like Ian and his story, then I don't know what's going to get you moving. So on that note, we all know it's November. It's no month. I'm saying no to peanut butter, and I invite you to say no to something. we got a thread running in LinkedIn. If you want to see that thread, come find me. Come follow me on LinkedIn. Come follow me. Come find the thread and make your pledge to what you're saying no to. Maybe you want to say no to some drinks for the month, and maybe you want to go get your blood work done. Maybe, maybe just something to think about, right? Uh, and maybe that first step to having no drinks for a month makes it maybe two months, three months, four months, and maybe maybe you live a little bit longer. You heard Ian's chat. I don't have to say nothing. Go back to the top of the show and hear the rest of it. And uh, uh, that's probably the best place to end. But a better place to end is don't die on time. Live on time. I'm Keith. I'm Keith Billis. I'm your host of Live in the Lab, and I'm here Monday to Friday, noon, Central Time, minus 5 GMT. I'll see you guys all tomorrow for the special drop of the Dale Weiss exclusive interview after the buzzer. Have a good one, everybody. And I'm going to look over here while I figure out how to say goodbye without doing this all kind of goofily. But uh, you guys have a good one, all right?